You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. On this episode, we're going to be talking about some of the overlooked aspects of human health, of biology, of immunometabolism in regards to this virus that's really integrated itself, the idea of itself into so many facets of our life. And one of the big issues, of course, is that we're not addressing our underlying susceptibility as a society. And using this as an example, all that's transpired as a launching pad, as an example, as a push towards what we need to do to get our citizens healthier. And so that's the mission, and I know that it's possible for us. As a matter of fact, it's probable once enough of us step up and say, absolutely, this is what it's really about, is optimizing human health to get our citizens more resilient, to get our immune systems more robust and capable. In a world that has been largely devolving, if we're talking about our health as a society recently in human history, you know, just in the last few decades, we've seen an absolute skyrocket in rates of obesity in type 2 diabetes, in heart disease, in liver disease, in cancer, in autoimmune conditions, in mental health issues. The list goes on and on and on and on. Things that were once rare just a few generations ago are now commonplace, and it's not okay. Just because they're common does not mean that they are okay. Just because this is the norm does not mean that it's normal. And so pushing towards, and this is one of the terms that's been thrown around during this experience is that it's the new normal, the new normal. No, let's not subscribe to that. If poor health is being normalized, I want you to be weird AF. All right, I want you to be the weird one. All right, I want you to be the exception to the rule and be somebody who's standing to normalize wellness, to normalize community and support and empathy and compassion and good mental health and being able to have sovereignty over one's body and, and being empowered. Ultimately, that's what it's all about. And so today's episode is about empowerment. It's about education. And we've got one of my favorite people who's really been a guiding light throughout this process here for you today. Now, obviously, or maybe not so obvious, one of the most important facets of the health of our immune system and just our health overall is making that critical connection cognitively that our immune cells are made from the food that we eat. And I say this overall because also every cell in our bodies, every organelle within our cells is made from the food that we eat. These are the ingredients that make us up. These are the raw materials that make up our bodies, is the food that we eat, the nutrients that we bring in from the external world. It is inherently going to be determined by the raw materials that we give our system. And so to say that this matters, not only does it matter, but is orders of magnitude of greatness on how big this issue is, how important this is for us to address this. Because right now here in the United States, over 60% of the average American's diet is ultra processed foods. Not just processed food, ultra, ultra processed foods so far distanced from any origin of what a food is. It's ultra processed. You can't tell where the hell that ding dong comes from. 
you can't tell where those Apple Jacks come from. If you were just coming from another planet, you see some Apple Jacks, you have no idea that it came from some form or fashion from a shred of corn somewhere, all right, or a sugar cane. You have no idea. It's so far removed from anything that's normal and natural. And it makes up 60% of the average American's diet. What are we making our immune cells out of, right? What are we making our brains out of? And that's what we address here. This is what our mission is, is to get our citizens and our families educated and empowered so that we can make the very, this is a primary step of making our bodies out of better things, making our immune cells out of better things. Now, one of the key elements, and this is true, I love the word element in this context, that's driving our immune system function and just the function of our cells overall. Literally, our cells cannot work without this particular nutrient, family of nutrients, because it's behind this sodium potassium pump that drives the function of our mitochondria, right? These energy power plants of our cells. We can't make energy without the presence of electrolytes. And electrolytes at their core, these are minerals that carry an electric charge, right? This is why they're called electrolytes, right? Turning the lights on, keeping the lights on. We can't have the lights on if we don't have electrolytes, especially in abundance because electrolytes are utilized by our immune system to run functions and it can get depleted. This is one of the things that's utilized. It's a common thing to be utilized in hospital settings to get folks electrolytes, right? But we don't really think about like how important is that and how valuable that simple thing is, but we don't look at it in the context of our day-to-day -day lives. We just look at it in the context of emergencies. And this was also seen with COVID-19 as well, because a meta-analysis published in the Annals of Clinical Biochemistry titled Electrolyte Imbalances in Patients with Severe Coronavirus Disease, COVID-19, that was the title of the study, it analyzed five different studies with almost 1,500 patients with COVID-19 and found that these two key electrolytes, well, actually multiple electrolytes, but in particular, were greatly deficient in people with COVID-19 patients who were hospitalized, and that, that are sodium and potassium were significantly lower in patients with severe COVID-19. Not just getting the infection, but when people had severe outcomes and being hospitalized, they were significantly deficient in sodium and potassium, these key master electrolytes. In addition to that, the electrolyte magnesium is one of the most powerful influencers of our immune system, but also helping to balance out our endocrine system and our nervous system as well. And our nervous system and endocrine system are, in many ways, these are sort of like the control center or the communication center for our immune system. It's like the control tower for our immune system planes right, that are flying around and getting things where they need to go, taking care of jobs and the like. All right. So it's very, very important. Magnesium is responsible for over 650 biochemical processes that we're aware of, right? So that means that if you're deficient in magnesium, that's over 650 processes that your body simply cannot do or cannot do efficiently because of this deficiency. Now, in particular, a 2016 study reported that magnesium is able to reduce the activity of your fight or flight nervous system, your sympathetic nervous system, and to turn on the activity of your parasympathetic also known as the rest and digest nervous system. Wouldn't this have been helpful 
during this experience where, according to the CDC, massive meta-analysis, over 800 U.S. hospitals, over 540,000 COVID-19 patients analyzed, the number one risk factor for death was obesity. The number two risk factor for death was anxiety and fear-related disorders. Wouldn't nutrients that help to regulate and support the health of our nervous system be helpful at a time like this? But unfortunately, you don't hear stuff like that. Again, literally, if you're deficient in these nutrients, your nervous system just can't regulate, can't self-regulate well, well, if at all. And you're just going to habitually live in that fight or flight state. And it's zapping the magnesium and other electrolytes from your system to try. Your body's always trying to sort itself out and to normalize. So, but we don't have to wait around for the rest of the data to come out on all the things that we didn't do that are basic and foundational to human health and well-being. So for free, I want you to head over to drinkelement.com forward slash model. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash model. Get yourself a free shipment of the only electrolyte that I personally use. No crazy added sugars, artificial flavors, all this crazy stuff that finds its way into conventional electrolyte formulas. And it's just not appropriate. We're done with that. All right. This is the real stuff. And it's formulated based off of thousands and thousands of data points. And in addition, they're sourcing higher quality electrolytes as well. I go to drinkelement.com. Again, that's drinklmnt.com forward slash model. You get it shipped to your house for free, free sample pack. Just pay a little bit in shipping and they're going to send it right out to you. Definitely take advantage of it. Turn the lights on. Right, you're going to find some really remarkable benefits for a wide variety of things. And I'm going to be highlighting this a bit more because I've been getting all these amazing stories from folks as well. And this is why I rock with them is because it's something I utilize and I've seen the benefits firsthand. Electrolytes are super important right now, but where you're sourcing things from is more important than ever. Go to drinklmnt.com forward slash model. And now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Life Changing by Luke T. Pearson. I've been into fitness for years now, but never got the results I've been looking for. After discovering this podcast five months ago, I've gone through a couple hundred episodes and it has changed my life. Not only did his advice help cure my chronic joint pain, but helped me lose 50 pounds and really take control of my life in a positive way. Eat Smarter just came in the mail today, and I can't wait to start reading. Thanks again, Sean. Keep doing your thing. Absolutely. You know I'm not stopping anytime soon, and thank you so much for sharing that over on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for sharing your voice. If you yet to do so, please pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for The Model Health Show. And on that note, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. With nearly three decades of experience in medicine, Dr. Tina Moore is a leading expert in regenerative medicine and resilient health. As a naturopathic physician, she brings a unique perspective to those wishing to build a more robust foundation in their health and well-being. She's also a best-selling author, podcast host, speaker, and kettlebell devotee. And she's also a mom. And she's a fierce advocate for health autonomy and personal responsibility, which she helps people to improve through her many platforms. So let's jump into this conversation with the amazing Dr. Tina Moore. All right. So first thing I want to ask you about, what has been your experience as a physician, as a researcher over the course of this last 
two years, over the course of this pandemic, what's it been like for you? It's been wild. I really thought, as a naturopathic physician, I really thought that we had this. I knew when this hit that it was a new virus, but I also knew it was not some alien strain that came out of nowhere. And I know how coronaviruses work. And I personally have uh, suffered with long haulers for for decades. And so I was very familiar with viruses. Most of our patients, if we really dig into their health history with them, we'll find that they have some type of post-viral syndrome that's causing their issues. And so, I mean, I've been to countless conferences on how to deal with post-viral syndrome. And acutely, we know how to optimize a human being's body so that a virus isn't, a really, you know, it, it becomes less hospitable, if you will. Yeah. And so when this hit, I thought, okay, well, people are going to freak out for a minute, but common sense will reign. Like, we'll be okay. And I really thought my profession would step up and save the day. I thought, this is it. Like you were saying earlier, like, this is our chance, right? Like, healers step up. And that did not happen. Yeah. And it just has been shocking to see the propaganda machine it's also interesting as someone who studied extensively marketing and nlp and other things like that like you can hear the words that are coming out of mm -hmm. mainstream media's mouth and you can see the propaganda and hear it and i just thought at some point okay common sense will reign and no that never happened so it's been um as you know i mean we both were kind of like on the front lines of social media trying to hold down, hold the line at least on common sense. I don't feel like I was trying to put up any battle, but it felt like I was going to war every day. And I feel, I was telling my husband the other day, I feel like those pictures, those before and after of Abraham Lincoln, like before the war and after the war, like the massive <laughs> aging that has occurred <laughs> just from battle fatigue. Yeah. So I feel a little uh, PTSD at this point, yeah. I think. And I am holding on to the uh, inherent truth that I know. And I will not budge on it, no matter how much it would be easy, almost. Yeah. You probably had moments like that where it's like, it would just be easy to give in, right? But I will not give in to propaganda and lies, no matter how long they persist, so. Well, I just wanna thank you so much for doing that. Like I said this already, but we really do need you. And you're a human as well, so it's just like being able to fill your own cup and you even sharing that, you know, having some PTSD from it, how could you not, especially being somebody who's holding the line and saying things that are inconvenient, but very real, you know, and what you've been doing is really just continuing to focus people on the underlying issue here. So you mentioned that you personally have experienced long haulers. You know, this seems like this new phenomenon, but resulting from, if you could share a little bit about that, resulting from a viral infection of some sort that you got earlier on in life. So let's talk about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, when I was 19, I so I was always like a superstar student, but I was always a punk rock girl. So I would walk into these AP classes or these advanced placement courses in college and people would look at me like, does she belong here? <laughs> you know what I mean? So I've always been bucking the system and doing it uh, with style because I could pull the grades. I could, I'm like, you wanna go? Like when people wanna have an intelligence sort of battle, I'm just like, all right, let's, you know, we don't need to do this right now because I know what I know and I'm not a dummy. And so, and I will not succumb to, I cannot, I cannot tolerate injustice. And so of course I start college at, with a bang and I am a mac and cheese Italian at the time and I am a chain <laughs> smoker. And mm. this was back in the early nineties, very early nineties when drinking too much was a thing. And so I think all of that combined lack of sleep, I was 
heroin chic was all the rage in the Pacific Northwest. So I was really underweight, really skinny. Didn't, I wouldn't know, you know, a deadlift if it hit me in the head, like I hadn't discovered the beauty of strength training yet. And so I got hit really hard with cytomegalovirus, which is common and most people process readily. However, if you're immunocompromised, it can obliterate you. And I had a great uh, physician at the student health center at Portland State University. I was living downtown, like it was great. Life was great. And she said, you have this crazy, your titers are through the roof. We don't know what to do. Like, where did this come from? We have to work you up for HIV. And at the time, this was the early nineties, HIV tests took weeks to come back. So I was terrified. I was like, am I dying? Is this, cause I had a friend who was 19 who had HIV out of nowhere. And I thought, okay, this is not good. Well, it turns out it wasn't that we couldn't figure out what it was. And it ruined my life. I had to leave school. I had to move back in with my parents. I had to um, essentially just drop down on credits. I didn't drop out completely. And I spent the next several years really struggling. And as you know, cytomegalovirus attacks the brain. So I was incorrectly diagnosed as manic, depress uh, manic depressive. I was just kind of put through the ringer with antidepressants and antipsychotic medications. It was it was terrible, to be honest. And years later, I had the great honor of meeting my mentor, Dr. Rick Marinelli, who was a naturopathic physician. And he said, you're not crazy. You have a virus attacking your brain and helped me from a naturopathic standpoint. And I had never been to a naturopathic physician. I did not know what they did. I knew nothing about them. I couldn't believe this existed. Like this kind of medicine was real. And so, of course, I, I started as his receptionist and I ended up basically as his uh, medical assistant. And I spent 20 years with him. And he was a Jedi like that guy. He unfortunately passed away from cancer, but had a great run with him, learned a lot. And that's what drove me into naturopathic school. I was in chiropractic college. I'm a chiropractor as well. So I really appreciate the body's ability to heal inherently from a biomechanical standpoint and nervous standpoint, as well as from just, you know, in naturopathic medicine, we call it the vise. It's the healing power of nature. And in chiropractics, it's the innate, it's the inherent body's ability to heal. So like together, it's a superpower. And I went into naturopathic school looking for answers. So, and then I got sick again while I was there because I was doing two programs concurrently. Mm. And I got hit with an influenza that turned into meningitis. And that took me out and down. And that was a mess for a hot minute. But the point is, both times I was underweight, I was malnourished, I was completely stressed out of my mind, I was completely disrespecting my sleep, I had no muscle mass on me. So I was skinny fat both times and not in a good place. And so it, it makes sense to me why I was, you know, hit so hard. This is bananas. <laughs> I mean, again, you know, I see this story consistently with folks who are really exceptional in this area of going through their own stuff, trying to figure out their own health issues. And, you know, you finding some things that's just like, how do other people not know about this? Right. And also dealing with the virus, that particular virus is very tricky. Like it could hide out in your nervous system. And, you know, so having, and even knowing that there are solutions available, you're probably getting told that there's, you know, you're crazy, there's nothing you could do about this. Go and, home and different rest. flavors of that, you know, and like, here's this, you're just depressed, you know, just take this medication. And uh, being able to look at the body as a complete, you know, because one of the things we talk about now, we could talk about today, maybe we can get into it, but just how, you know, um, mental health, quote, mental health issues can be rooted in disruption with our gut integrity, you know, and the like. But we just like, no, this is a mental health issue. 
It's as if it doesn't exist in a body that's connected. You know, your gut is connected to your brain. But I wanted to ask you about this because you just mentioned, and this is another similarity. When I was in college and dealing with my own health issue, you know, this arthritic spinal condition, I, I, all, I dropped down in credits, but I didn't drop out. I just I hung on with three <laughs> credits. I, I was still a college student. And, you know, I think it's just, again, we kept trucking forward and we knew the trajectory, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to yes. be successful. But man, you were hit with a lot of stuff. And so by you doing the two programs simultaneously, influenza almost took you out, right? Stress. Most people have no idea about this. This is one of the things I was talking about at the very beginning of this is that, guess what? About 650,000 people, according to the WHO, die from the flu every year. Yeah. Right. It's as if, again, that's just from the respiratory effects. That's not organ failure. That's not all the other things that can be, you know, comor comorbidities with flu. But nobody ever said shit about it. You can get very sick from a myriad of viruses, but there's a difference. What makes you susceptible? Yep. So let's talk about that because that's not getting talked about right now, our greatest susceptibilities. Which is why I think there's a bigger agenda ultimately, which is where I, it clearly is not about health at this point. It's something more sinister. I don't know what, but that's where that was never spoken of from the beginning. We had, I was, the minute this hit, let's just put it this way. I'm a, a little addicted to cortisol. <laughs> so when stress gets high, I shine for a minute, you know, I'm like, yeah, I get juiced up by it. And so when it was coming to our shores and it had hit Kirkland and Italy was happening, I immediately dove in and I found studies that were already coming out of China and documentation coming out of China, heart disease, smokers, or, you know, really, I would say that sort of triad of like that smoker, uh, cardiovascular male, you know, just kind of that those were the ones that were having a really hard time. Um, obesity, diabetes. And like you said, I was like, we're fucked. And I made a video and it went viral. And I had, I woke up with like 30,000 followers. And in that video, I said, this virus hasn't seen North America yet. I didn't mean North America hasn't seen the virus. I meant this virus hasn't seen North America yet because this is going to be like a fire. And if you map the obesity map, and this is not a dog against obesity. This is in the attempt to empower people with knowledge to hopefully help them do something, there's something they can do. What can they do, right? Like what tools do we have that people can implement and empower themselves? Because if you teach people to do better, they will do better. If you empower them to be better, they'll be better. And we can't uh, talk about that because you get hit with the fat shaming and the, and the other things. But if you look at the map of COVID deaths over time and you, you can superimpose it over the top of the obesity map. The same spots light up, right? For the most part, the same spots light up. And I know there's population density and there's different issues, but where the country is struggling the most with obesity, they also were having terrible outcomes with the virus. And this is something that I think, so I just immediately took to Instagram and I said, you know, start walking, cut refined sugar, basic stuff that anyone could do. And the pushback on that was enormous. And I thought, I'm giving you guys like countless free tools here that anyone could do. I understand some people live in the inner city and walking around isn't as nice. I understand that I was doing it. I was filming from the country where I live. You know, I live out in the rural area in the country, but I have spent many years living in San Francisco and downtown Portland. Like I'm a city girl and you can still take care of yourself. You, you know, we, we could have had an impact on humanity to, I think the count of hundreds of thousands of lives saved if we had just 
been able to speak of some basic strategies. We knew the nutrients that help the body fight, not only just fight off getting a viral infection, it's not about prevention, treatment, or cure. We were muzzled, by the way, which I'll come back to. We were muzzled specifically in Oregon as physicians by the Department of Justice and the FTC, like from day one. But there are nutrients. We don't, as naturopathic physicians, we don't look at it as prevention, treatment, or cure of a condition. We look at it as optimizing a person who is struggling with said condition, said whatever. So if you're an asthmatic, for instance, it's not what medication will help ameliorate the asthma symptoms. It's why is this person's body hyperreacting and it's manifesting in the airway system, right? Like root cause. So, and you, you know this and your audience knows this. So it's, a matter of like, how do we keep viral replication and viral load and titers low? How do we help the immune system first pass, you know, the first line of the immune system work better so the virus doesn't sneak past it and, and come in? How do we decrease ACE2 receptors so that the virus doesn't take as good of a hold in the body? Those are the things I'm interested in. And that's what I was trying to speak on, which I'm still beating the drum boringly. It's not sexy. It's like <laughs> people want the quick cure and I'm like, same story. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's the part where I can't believe it was never spoken of, of course, and you can't either. And yeah. that was never popularized. It was never mentioned. And I think, it, what was it last week? The beloved Fauci came out and basically said, every man for himself, yeah. find you your You got to learn to live with this. Take your own calculated risk. Yes. yes. <laughs> Same stuff that we were saying at the very beginning. You know, but that's the thing is, you know, not one of my hypotheses has borne out to be untrue. You yep. know, because you could see it all coming. But I think that the thing that's not getting addressed here is, is again, you're just like, why are, why are we not talking about this? It's because we never talked about it. Yeah. Tina, like we weren't talking about it prior. Yep. We were just watching the ship just sinking. We were just watching our health as a society absolutely just plummeting already. So I, I think, again, I, one of my things that I was struggling with at the beginning is just like, this was the term that popped up in my mind. I was just like, I felt like I, I thought we were better than this. I thought we're better than this. And that was just my disillusion because I'm better than this and I've been working my ass off to empower other people to be better than this. But as a society, no, 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 we're not, we're not. And as a matter of fact, we're living in a very archaic, twisted version of what science and health looks like and medicine looks like. Yeah. Yeah, that has been really heartbreaking because I wanted to be, when I was a little kid, I was really sick. And I remember being five years old and held down on a table while they were like siphoning snot out of my head. And my mom's holding me and the doctor's holding me and the nurses are holding me. And I remember thinking clearly, like, there has to be a better way to do this. This, there, this is not it. And so I set out to become a doctor from that point forward. And it's heartbreaking to me to see how they bastardize science and medicine. And how, I mean, doctors had already sort of fallen from grace in my eyes as a whole by the time this pandemic was even close to, I, I had left my practice in 2018. I closed up shop because I was so sick of it all. So I, I found other ways to make money and have fun, but it was heartbreaking because I'd wanted to be a physician my whole life. And then to see it just melt into this mess. And now people are like, well, you're a doctor, so I certainly won't believe you. It's, 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 <laughs> you know, it's to my fault. Yeah. It's a fault now instead of a like, well, let's. Talk to the expert yeah. and to see good names and good doctors and think about the cumulative years of education that's just been dismissed and quieted. That's the part that gets me. And the most important take home from this, though, is the onus of responsibility is ultimately still on the individual because 
you pulled yourself out of a hole and that took tremendous work and effort. It still takes, I'm sure, tremendous work and effort. I packed on a good 20 pounds and rebuilt my health. I've done it several times over. That takes consistent daily effort. And it's not about looking hot. It's about aging well. It's about being a good mother. It's about being, I can't be a good physician and a good, I can't do my job well if I'm not at my game, you know, top of my game. And so for me, citizenship, good old fashioned, I don't know if that's a Midwest thing, (laughs) but where did citizenship go? Where did, you know, for the greater good to me means taking excellent care of yourself so that you can be an excellent family member. As a mother, I can be an excellent mother. I can be an excellent daughter to my parents. But more than that, like, am I helpful in society because I'm healthy? And I don't think that people realize the load they put on their family members when they live in chronic illness. And I think living in chronic illness, this is, I'm going to take a lot of heat for this, but I think it's a choice. And I, I treated people who were in chronic pain. That's what I did throughout my entire practice for over a decade was treat people who are in pain and people who are in chronic pain, like myself, there is a reason we get there. There is a mindset that gets us there. And no, it's not our faults always, but choosing to stay there is often our choice. And so fighting that every day, fighting, I have crippling back pain if I let it get there. I have to take measures every single day to not let it get there. And that is my choice. And when I don't do it, it impacts my marriage, it impacts my business, it impacts my friendships. It impacts me. I self-isolate. I go into the pit of despair of pain and there's gut issues. There's all those things, right? We all struggle. I could sit there and say, oh, well, it was this virus that happened to me. It's not my fault. That's what started it all it was back when I was 19. But I don't. I choose to fight and I expect everyone else to do so as well so we can get the hell out of this mess. But that's, I <laughs> that's think that, that that is the struggle is expecting other people to do the same thing. And I think we both had to get face to face with that to understand like a lot of people, were, they're just not wired up that way. You know, they don't understand how powerful they are. Thank you for saying the thing, you know, again, like you don't have to preface anything around here. Like I'm going to get heat for this <laughs> because you're not like we got your back. And to say the thing, which is, this is a choice. Now for me, again, I'm going to consult with and work with the very best people in their respective fields. And one of them that comes to mind when you said that is Dr. Bruce Lipton. He's really pushed this term epigenetics into popular culture. Mm -hmm. Like if you know about it, it's probably because of him. Cell biologist, brilliant guy, brilliant scientist. And he shared with me when we're talking about this profound shift that's taking place recently where genes were getting blamed for things, you know, going through this different spectrum of things we're blaming for our problems, you know, it's the genes. It's like, Sean, there are no genes for disease. These are all, these are all biological programs, blueprints Mm -hmm. for different versions of how your health can be expressed. Because even when you mentioned asthma earlier, we might think, and I know being a child who had asthma, that that like this trying to kill me. This asthma is trying to kill me. <laughs> yeah. Why would my body like that's so against everything about evolution and biology that my body is trying to kill me and autoimmunity? Why your body is doing is in adjusting a program to actually try to keep me alive somehow or another? It thinks it's protecting me, right? And so what he shared with me is that Sean, only a fraction of a percent of our health conditions are true genetic defects. Most of these issues are developed because of our environment, 
our internal and external environment and these inputs that are influencing our genetic expression. And so what I mean by that is, you know, for example, I had an arthritic condition of my spine as at 20 years old when I was diagnosed, but it took years, of course, for it to be manifest, right? It's already behind the scenes brewing. But I wasn't born with that. I wasn't, I didn't come out like I've got arthritic condition. Mm -hmm. I was living life doing baby stuff and doing kid stuff and living my life. But the, the program got turned on. Something got turned on that was adjusting how my body was working. And it's those inputs. And so for you saying the thing that, hey, this is a choice. This doesn't have to, we immediately like, no, you, can't, you can't blame when somebody just gets fill in the blank. That's not their fault. We want to be empowered because, of course, not everything is our fault. Like there are, but that's in the tiny, tiny exception and not the rule. The rule is we're living in epidemics, multi-epidemics of chronic lifestyle created chronic diseases. And we're just now starting to understand how even things we would seem, you know, just like random are not random at all. As a matter of fact, even that goes against premises of like, you know, physics, you know, there's no things just happen like every there's always a, a, a reaction from an action mm -hmm. you know there can't be anything that happens without an outcome and so thank you for bringing that up and i want to ask you specifically about obesity because this is well noted cdc july 1st 2021 i like to quote them directly <laughs> they did a massive meta-analysis over 800 u.s hospitals over 540,000 covid 19 patients obesity was the number one number one risk factor for death from COVID, number one, which we knew already coming into it. But let's talk about why. What is it about obesity that makes us so susceptible to viral infections? That's a great question because I was just thinking, how can I, how can I simplify this down in an Instagram post without inflaming the masses? And in my head, I think about it. There's a couple different reasons, but mechanistically, ACE2 receptors are plentiful on adipose cells. Adipose cells are fat cells, right? And the more fat cells you have, the more ACE2 receptors you're going to have. ACE2 receptors are where the virus binds. They are upregulated in response to inflammation. So obesity generally is a pro-inflammatory state. Young folks with more subcutaneous fat, meaning under the skin layer, are going to have less inflammation. And as someone who's ran thousands and thousands of labs on a variety of ages of people, we automatically become more inflamed as we age, right? It's inflammaging. We are, I, by the time you and I are 85, we're gonna have way more inflammation whether we like it or not, no matter how good we think we're living our lifestyle. So that is just a natural sequence of events. Humans become more diabetic or more insulin resistant or more carb resistant as they age. And so we've got that already ticking. Now you take a young person and their homeostasis is working awesome because they're young. And homeostasis is just the body's way of trying to self-regulate, like you were mentioning. So take someone who's maybe been carrying extra weight and now it's turning more into visceral fat under the belly layer. That's the dangerous, really pro-inflammatory fat. I think of that as like a little cytokine factory. Mm. You know, that belly that men and women too uh, develop in their middle age, that is a little cytokine factory. And so that is super pro-inflammatory. That fat is plentiful in ACE2 receptors. So mechanistically, obese people just have a much higher propensity to have a higher viral load or titer. Viral titers matter. And I've said this from day one, mm. viral titers are key because the more the virus can replicate in your body, the more plentiful it becomes in your body, the more screwed you are generally, the more symptomatic you become, the more systems that are hit. 
It might actually leave your respiratory system and go rogue throughout the body. You know, generally speaking, you're not going to find a lot of, if someone's naturally acquired a virus, you're not going to find it in the bloodstream as much. Um, the higher the viral titer though, game on, you know, all bets are off. And the way that this virus likes to sort of bypass and ninja its way through the first line of your immune system, it screws up the signaling system between phase one and phase two of your immune system. So, so the, I think of these like phase one is like the Marines. It's sort of just blast and shoot. And then there's the signal and then there's phase two, which is your Navy SEALs. Well, by the time the Navy SEALs get the call, the titers are sky high berserkers goes off cytokine storm the more fat cells you have the more likely you are to have high cytokine levels so not only does the fat cells mm. themselves and plentitude invite in more virus and get you a higher viral titer but secondarily it's really going to drive that cytokine storm so the freaking fire gets lit it's like a blitzkrieg right it goes the third component is if you are rocking a lot of adipose tissue, the likelihood of your metabolic health is going to be, and I know you and I both talk about this, is, and really I think this is the root cause of the whole pandemic, is poor metabolic health. Only 88, I mean, what, 88% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy, so 12% are. So that's when I knew I was like, we're screwed. <laughs> this is going to be a hot mess, literally, when this hits our shores. But that immunologic uh, metabolic, as Mike Mutzel says, it's two sides of the same coin. So if your metabolic health is messed up, your immune system is jacked. And that's going to let this ninja virus really ninja. And it's pretty, it's an interesting, the way this, the behavior of this virus is interesting, the way it works. Anyway, we bypass phase one, we screw up communication, we turn on phase two, cytokine storm ensues. You have a cytokine factory called your fat suit that you're wearing around. So that in my head is the simplest way to explain it to people. So when they say you're fat shaming, I'm like, no, I'm trying to help you decrease your cytokine storm. And I'm trying to help your immune, you get your immune system to function more properly and optimally. And ultimately it's like a vacancy sign when you are obese, right? And then let's tie in the diabetic piece. The virus itself induces, and most viruses do. They induce, When you get really sick with something, you go into a bit of a diabetic state. It's just naturally occurring. If you're sick enough to end up in the hospital, I guarantee you your blood sugars will be screwed up because your body's trying to fight something. So it's trying to get as much glucose as it can to call in the, the troops. Um, so that's a real problem for most Americans who are sitting on the edge of some kind of prediabetes or frank diabetes. By the time they end up in the hospital, it's a, it's a mess of blood sugar dysregulation. And that's when all these systems really go haywire. So there's a couple mechanisms there, but at the end of the day, it's like, don't invite so much virus in in the first place. And what, cause once it gets in a body that is suffering with obesity, it is a show, yeah. literally, you know, versus someone who's metabolically healthy. It's like, I didn't feel great when I had it, but I knew I was gonna get through it. I rocked my fever out came out of it the other side, it took me about 90 days to kind of get through all my symptomology. I expected that. that. Again, that's normal. We have really sensationalized this whole long haulers thing. Post-viral syndrome takes a while to come out of, you know, it's not a like, all the studies are like, well, one month out, these people had neurologic symptoms. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> anybody who gets really sick is going to have neurologic symptoms one month out from a bad sickness. So that's that whole thing. And I, again, the sicker you are and the more obesity you have, the more inclined you are to long COVID symptoms. So the, 
to me, the root cause solution is let's reduce the obesity on the body. Let's make the fat suit smaller so that there's less likelihood of all of these terrible things happening. Mm. I hope that's simple, but okay. that's, <laughs> that's no, I mean, you're highlighting again, the most important point, which is, you know, our, our lack of metabolic health. I love the term, maybe it helps to color things for people, but immunometabolism. Yeah. And, but there's two legs of that, you know, your immune system itself, your immune cells have their own metabolism. So that's one degree of it. And if you're in poor health, their metabolism is shitty. But then the other side is how your metabolism, like Mike mentioned, you know, being two sides of the same coin, your metabolism really controls your immune system in many ways. Like they're, they're the same. And we try to isolate these things like they're separate. If you're in poor metabolic health, your immune system is just trash yeah. already, yep. you know? And so we're like, we're predisposed as you just articulated so wonderfully, we're predisposing ourselves to poor outcomes. We're in a pre-inflamed body, metabolically broken body. Man, like, it's just like, if we get hit with something, and now here's the thing I wanna mention because, so you, you said, of course, like being in a healthier state, we're going to deal with this better. What tends to happen, and I know you've dealt with this, is that we do the whataboutism. Well, what about my friend who's, you know, they run, you know, 40 miles a week and they eat a perfect diet and all these things and they got, you know, hospitalized from COVID or whatever the case might be. That's not to say yeah. that it can't happen. But again, we're missing the most important point. Again, from the CDC, 95% of people who are hospitalized with COVID, who died from COVID, had an average of four pre-existing chronic diseases and or comorbidities, all right? This is on the CDC site, 95%. So I'm not talking, yes, the 5%, yes, somebody who's quote healthy, but what is the definition of healthy? We know that right. the majority of people who succumbed to this virus were not just unhealthy, but significantly unhealthy. We've gotta do something about it. Don't talk shit about the 5%. What about the 95%, the smoking gun here? Because again, even that 5%, we can get into you know, nuance, but truly the best defense is being a healthy individual and not a thing has been done towards getting our society like that. As a matter of fact, it's worse. Prior oh, to this worse. even existing, we had about, you know, the numbers were almost 130 million Americans were diabetic or pre-diabetic. And you were just mentioning how abnormal blood sugar can exacerbate this issue too. Yeah, and there's a couple things here. You know, we ha you and I both have covered at length the studies that have come out showing how massively protective exercise is. They didn't look at these people's BMIs. They didn't assess their metabolic health. These people were just either moving or not moving. And those who moved, and we've seen countless studies showing those who are actively moving on a regular basis, even moderately so, are protected. Far more efficacy than what the current solution is offering, right? That, so there, there's... I mean, if everybody just started walking, there's yeah. one piece, right? Number two is we had all the studies going way back to really around 2019 when that bad flu hit on obesity and influenza, not terribly different viruses. I'm not suggesting they're the same. I'm not suggesting COVID is just the flu in disguise. That's, uh, I think that's really disrespectful to say in, in the world of science, but they are similar in their structure and they are similar in how they are spread through aerosols, which again, that was when when they were coming out saying this is droplet in the beginning i'm like they're lying we know i mean just pick up a virology textbook medical textbook from pre-2020 and read about coronaviruses right yeah. i have them on my library shelf like these are aerosolized so they, i knew there was going to be no hiding from it 
this whole like hiding everything that's a whole other story but we had the studies from 2019 showing that the obese body in humans and in mice spreads far has much higher viral titers spreads far more virus for significantly longer like 42 percent longer than the lean counterpart the virus that works its way through an obese host that comes out the other end is far more virulent mm. to the lean body so they took mice and they the cocktail that came out of the mice after the virus had made its way through became came out more virulent we know who super spreaders are super spreaders are bodies that tend to be obese malnourished inflamed sickly immunocompromised so 20% of spread is, I'm sorry, 80% of spread is due to 20% of the population generally. We now have those studies conclusive for COVID. The older obese body and the longer that body's been obese, the more Viron comes out of them for longer and is literally shown in their aerosol and their sputum. So this was the part where I'm like, you guys, we know who's most contagious and also who's most vulnerable and who needs to be protected. We also know that group doesn't respond well to vaccination. So the, the vaccine's gonna save everybody's story. I knew it wasn't gonna work from the get-go and I took a lot of heat for that. And I'm like, this isn't my opinion. <laughs> this is yeah. based on literature that we have already. And so, I mean, there's a lot of things at play here that were so obvious if somebody just, and then they say, well, you can't trust Google, it's censored. I can just go past page one, dig a little deeper. <laughs> you know, if people would just actually take it upon themselves to dig yeah. and start having a little discipline to research it more than what the five o'clock news told them, we would see that this is all right out there in, in the open. And you and I share info from the CDC and people are dismissive of it. It's like, no, dude, it's on the CDC's website. Yeah. I'm showing this to colleagues, medical colleagues. Yeah. I'm like, do you need stacks of this printed out and highlighted for you? Like what part of this are you choosing to ignore and not a peep about it? And so I think that's the frustrating part because I'm sure like you on social media, I've had hundreds of people reach out to me who've lost thousands of pounds cumulatively just from going to bed on time, cutting refined sugars, going for walks, getting out in the sun, basic shit, like just basic stuff that humans should do to stay alive. Our dogs go to the vet and they get their ribs palpated and the vet says, well, I can't really feel the ribs so well. Your dog has obesity. They're going to have diabetes and this is what diabetes is going to cause. They're going to die. But we don't do that with humans. We don't have those conversations, those hard conversations, because I think half the doctors have fatty liver themselves and aren't in great shape. So it's like, we've got this huge mess and I'm not judging anybody. I am not, I just, there's like this obvious mess in front of me and I, I can't, there's a few of us trying to highlight it. And it's like, which part of this are y'all not seeing? <laughs> like, where do we, you know, where is, where is the common sense mechanism here? Of like, where do we address this? Imagine if, oh, and they shut down gyms brilliant right imagine if everybody was actually forced i mean what if we mandated that right we shouldn't mandate anything in a free world but what if people were actually just forced to go for a walk every day how would that have changed things what if zinc vitamin c and d now i'm not a huge proponent of taking pills over good health but let's add in the nutrients that we know are deficient and that are cheap and let's uh, subsidize that and everybody gets a little doggy bag with a pulse oximeter and like hey instead of waiting until you're dying to go to the hospital how about this and you go for walks and yeah. you get out in the sun what if they were paying your neighbors to snitch on you if you didn't get your walk in you know oh yeah which again in la like i saw the notices you know if you have any information on people who are you know having more people over to their house and that kind of thing yeah you know so asking the public to snitch on each other for very low tier things instead of like what can actually help this person to get healthy you know yeah you know i was a teenager when 
music was getting really political and loud and like, you know, ironically, Rage Against the Machine and Nine Inch Nails and Ministry and all these industrial bands and punk bands. And I was so into it. And they were like teaching. I was hearing things I'd never heard before. And on top of that, in high school, I had a history teacher teaching me U.S. history for two years in a row who was an East German who had immigrated, who had escaped East Germany, communism. And he wore brown suits every day and he had East German history books. So we would read U.S. history out of our books and then he would read us the equivalent out of their books. And it was not the same story of course not. at all. And he taught us to read propaganda. And so in my formative years, when I'm like listening to this like angry fueled music that's teaching me to really forcing me to look at things I did not want to look at. Apartheid was a huge thing when I was a teenager. So I was really, really diving deep into like, what was that all about? And so I was well aware of all these things. So as things started creeping up throughout this, I'm like, hmm, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm smelling something is off. The only thing I wish I had was a constitutional law degree. That would have been a game changer. Mm. <laughs> but just to, to have the this like knowledge of what was happening and then to have the medical background to argue against it was it's just been really an interesting trip to see it all go down. Yeah. Wow. One of the as soon as you said apartheid, it made me think of Nelson Mandela. And one of his quotes that I actually just shared a couple of days ago was there can be no keener revelation of a society's soul in the way in which it treats its children. And there's a whole other topic. Yeah. So I was sharing, you know, this is again published by the CDC. Um, warns of steep decline in teen mental health. Yeah, we didn't see that coming. And for them, it was almost half, almost half of the teens who they analyzed said they felt persistently sad or hopeless. Almost half. In addition to that, one in five of these teens analyzed had suicide ideation. And in addition to that, and I see you're, you're tearing up. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> we're using our children as shields, you know? And as a young person who struggled without herself, like that was a big part of my life. And then to see my daughter, my daughter was 20 when this hit and she had just come out of like the gauntlet, like five years of deep depression and uh, was really prevailing. I had her in community college. I had her living on her own. She was thriving and she had such a short window of thriving. And she finally was feeling, and we were, you know, we were, the theme was like, you're going to be 20 in 2020. Like, this is it. This is your year. And then right as the pandemic hit lockdown, right after her first quarter of college lockdown and to see what, I mean, she's, thank God she came out the other side, but we went right back into that. And to see these young people struggle and the young people that have reached out to me on Instagram, and social media, um, it's it's just, I don't know, it's soul crushing to me that we would assume to throw away a generation like that. I'm not even talking about the young kids. I mean, that's a whole other thing. Cause now the thing in Portland is the, the unmasked parents and the masked up kids, like the mask has become the binky, yeah. you know, and the soothie kind of thing. But the young teenagers, like the, the kids I've heard from who lost scholarships, who lost their whole lives, they worked to obtain something massive yeah. um olympic dreams gone college scholarships gone uh the amount of anxiety the crippling anxiety that i'm hearing from parents and that is happening in their young uh i should say young adult children that are off to college and this kid's holding down the fort because they're not going to get vaccinated and all of their friends are i mean my daughter went through it all of her friends turned on her and they were like well if you don't get the shot we're not hanging out with you and she's like, are you aware of, <laughs> like, just are you keeping abreast 
of what's going on. And it was just this huge thing that I watched and I was hearing, um, I can't think about it, otherwise I cry. I just was hearing horror stories from people. I'm sure you've heard them too, yeah. you know, grandmothers who, yeah. who's a 10 year old son or grandson, you know, killed himself because he didn't want to live in this world. Like firsthand stories I got a lot of, I finally, I don't have my DMs on anymore. I can't read them anymore because I just had to shut it off because it was too much. But that part, uh, it brings a rage out inside of me that that's partially why I teared up, but also just like crippling sadness to think we did this to a whole generation of young people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, of course, like this hits close to home for a lot of people. You know, and my son, who's he's in college right now, and his best friend from back home, you know, St. Louis, uh, middle school best friend, he took his life. Oh. And he was of all the kids my my friend my son has been friends with, and no offense to any of his other friends who are listening right now, but this this kid was my favorite. You know, he's I loved him. You know, Josh was amazing, and um, of course, like you don't know what what these kids are going through. And, um, but that's just one of the many stories that are, have these close, close touch points to me. Like I see the outcome that's, I've seen that far more than the other, not to say that the other doesn't exist, you know, with this particular virus, but what I've seen is more depressive thoughts, more suicide, more divisiveness, more vitriol, more hatred, more poor health. Like everything, I can't name a thing that's gotten better unless you've proactively like this, I'm taking this as an opportunity to become better a better human which there are people who've done that many people listen to the show as a matter of fact yes i've taken this as an opportunity to improve for the most part though our society has devolved like we've taken decades away from our so-called progress by falling in line with this idiocy so another one and this was just published and what i would do is so what i tend to do in articulation i'll share a major news headline not because we should listen to them but because that's what people are listening to. Mm -hmm. What I'll do is I'll actually go and review the study. I'll contact some colleagues about it. I have discussions about it. And then I'll be able to articulate what it means. So um, this was published in the New York Post. Babies born during COVID-19 have lower IQs. And what the researcher said, authors attribute the pattern to children being cognitively impaired from, being, from spending so much time inside with overwhelmed parents during the past year. While many adults have managed to tough it out, so much isolation at a critical juncture in the mental progress of infants has likely caused lasting damage. One other one, there's again, there's so many. Ofsted report, COVID lockdowns have left a generation of young children struggling to crawl, talk, share, make friends, and even use the toilet independently. Delays, delays, delays. Last one I'll share, again, from the CDC. Children and teens weight gain at an alarming rate during the pandemic, right? And so what they saw was just taking one segment of these kids who were moderately obese, their rate of annual weight gain doubled, where their annual weight gain might've been six pounds, six and a half pounds, it went up to 12 pounds. And we would, I talked to Mike about this as well. We would think, okay, well, this is temporary, we could fix this. No, again, this is not what we do. We don't fix these issues. And we don't understand about recidivism, especially for children. Once these patterns are laid, it becomes a minor miracle to overcome those things as they get older, because it really just links into their, 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 their neurology, their biology. Being obese, if you get that as a child, it, not just that, even the developmental issues, they become increasingly difficult to overcome. My mentor used to always teach patients and myself 
Uh, like when I had my daughter, for instance, he said, lose the weight as fast as humanly possible because you do not want your body to reset there. So, and we know from studies, uh, and this is not to dissuade anybody from attempting it, but if you have been struggling with obesity, the longer you've struggled with it, the more likely you are to default back to it readily. And this is why we see people make great effort and either have results or not. And then often we'll see them regain the weight. It's very challenging. It's, it's much, much harder than if you had maintained a lean body. If you have, you know, and again, time under stress with that obesity really sets the stage for difficult things. With children, your, your stem cells are active when you're a kid. So you're making more fat cells. So adults just fill up the fat cells they have. And that in and of itself is a whole, you know, tower to overcome. Children who become obese, especially at a young age, are now dealing with way more fat cells that are filling up. So even back, you know, 10, 20 years ago, uh, I was sharing with patients, whether they were my mentor's patients or my own, if there was a young child that came in, I mean, we focused predominantly on getting that fat off and in lasting ways through metabolic health. I mean, this is way back before there was a paleo diet or a carnivore diet or any term. My mentor was saying cut grains. They're inflammatory. He was treating kids for ADD naturopathically with herbs, but most notably diet. I remember when I was a kid and I was really sick, I had a nice old doctor tell me cut all white foods, stop eating the cakes and the crackers and the breads and the ice, anything white, cut it out, rice, starch, basically cut the starch and the carbs. So these children now are set. Their set point is that. And so we, what I think it was diabetes and children tripled in the US. That was in year one of the pandemic. I don't know what study it came out of, but I remember reading it. I think Mike Mutzel shared it. So we've got, I don't talk about it on my Instagram because it infuriates me. <laughs> I can't, I can't even deal with the comments that come back. So we've set these children up and not only the developmental delays from the masks, I live in land of the scared mask people. It's like zombie land up there in the Pacific Northwest. So, and I know you guys are dealing with it here too, but it is a trip up there. It's the rain and the gloom and so it's it's really turned into this sort of like messed up it's turned into a social uh, justice movement up there wear a mask get a vaccine or you're racist i mean it's very it's it, things have turned in a direction i can't even i don't even care to fight anymore but what we've done to children is the greatest crime against humanity i've ever seen and now the fact that we're using young children i mean these kids have no risk of dying from covid their chances of getting hit by lightning are higher than dying of covid and I, I looked at some statistics. I wrote a blog. You encouraged me to start a Substack. Thank you. It was, it's been great. I'm finally going to say what I want to say. Awesome. <laughs> uh, I saw a crazy study showing that alcoholic related death, alcohol related death skyrocketed in 2020. And then we, I looked, oh, I went to the CDC and I looked up COVID deaths in 2020 and I compared. And roughly from 15 year olds to 45 year olds, the rate of death was triple that of COVID in the 15 to 45 year old group from alcohol yes alcohol related deaths 15 to 45 it was about 2.5 to 3 times as much death from covid related i'm sorry from alcohol related deaths than than covid mm. so that clearly tells you there was a problem definitely in my age group uh 35 to 40 well i'm 48 but somewhere in there i can't remember specifically it was if it was up to the 55 but somewhere in the middle age group somewhere around 40% increase in alcohol related deaths over the prior year over 2019. That's what lockdowns have done. And we're using kids as shields. Oh, and my point to this was if you look at, I put it all in my Substack. If you look at the total deaths of kids, it was like 
less than 100. Less than 100 kids died of COVID in 2020 in the whole U.S. Yeah. And much less. I think it was like 70 something. So why are we putting them through this to protect our shitty lifestyle habits? Adults with shitty lifestyle habits are using children as shields. They're masking them all day at school. Low-grade hypoxia, no one wants to talk about what low-grade hypoxia does to your brain. High-grade hypoxia has been shown to lead to schizophrenia and all kinds of issues as kids age. So what we're looking at coming, not only developmental delays, but the mental health crisis, the violence that I see coming. I mean, I, you had Doc Amen on, you know, and he talks about these young kids and they scan their brains and they're like, this is the next Columbine kid. I think we're going to see a huge uptick in problems in children as they I, age I due right, to low-grade hypoxia like this i know i know <sighs> we're like we're so upbeat here <laughs> you know i know <laughs> i came to riff and have fun with you and so, i'm like ah. <laughs> here's the thing is that you know it's going to take a miracle i believe in miracles you know but it's going to take folks like yourself and everybody listening to do something you know we can turn the tide i feel that this is all happening because you know life finds a way you know we've allowed things just to coast along for so long with people profiting these powerful entities profiting from our sickness and our divisiveness. That shouldn't even be a thing, you know? And matter of fact, they're the heroes during all of this. These pharmaceutical companies are the heroes during this. And so one of the things I would do, of course, is just deconstruct the foundational premise of these things. Rather than me trying to argue a point about, you know, you know Pfizer's product, just like, let's take a look at who they are as, a, as an entity, as a business. They were ordered to pay the, biggest fine in the history of the Department of Justice in the United States, over $2 billion, like $2.3 billion for fraud, their fraudulent felony, right? So massive amounts of fraud, fraudulent behavior. In addition to, they got caught experimentally uh, treating uh, children in Nigeria, these little Nigerian children with experimental drugs. They got caught doing that. They had to pay this big fine. It took them years though, for the families and children died to get compensated because they're so powerful, mm -hmm. you know? They've been caught multiple times in international fraud, bribery, the whole thing, bribing governments. Of course, people of influence, but like whole governments of countries. Whole countries. You know, and so like paying, paying out fines and the whole thing, but they just, it's just business as usual. And not to mention PrimPro, I can go on and on, you know, giving Biox. breast cancer, you know, killing people. We've got entities that have literally killed tens of thousands of people from their products who are operating business as usual. And matter of fact, they're glorified as heroes. Now here's the difference between us and you know the average Joe. I'm still open to them having a good product. I'm if they wanna do something good, I'm open to that. I'm not just like, it's all bad, it's all bad. There is some benefit, obviously, you know, everything has its place, but the majority of shit they've done is pretty dark. And if we can't acknowledge that, like we can't even have a conversation. And this is where I want to, to ask you about is our inability to have conversations right now. Like, what do you think is the mechanism behind that? Why are people so divisive? Why is there so much aggression and vitriol when just asking questions or asking people to look at a different perspective? My answer is kind of harsh. <laughs> I think if people were to open their eyes and see what was really happening around them and really look at some of the information you and I are sharing and think about it, what their contribution was to it in their compliance, it would crush their soul. 
So I think that they have to hold the line on their stance. They will die on that hill just like I will die on my hill. Like I'll die on this hill. And because uh, I'm not going to succumb to lies. I, I don't, I, I do believe there is a virus. I am not a virus denier. And I do believe that uh, the vaccine, I, it's funny, the, I was getting smeared on social media for being an anti-vaxxer. And that same night I was trying to talk to my dad because I had just gotten through what I thought was Delta. And I was like, dad, this is no joke. You're not going to make this. You're old. You're at the end of your days. You really might want to consider the vaccine. This was not a pleasant way to go down. This will not be pleasant. I don't think you're going to make it through this one. So it's it's funny that, you know, I get I'm not mm. anti-vaxxer. I am a pro-informed consent, which has been villainized. But I just think people have to they're going to die on their hill. They've made up their mind. Yeah. They were part of this. They did the things. They masked the kids. They let you know, I mean, I, I talked to people at the beginning of this who were telling me horrific stories, which we haven't even touched on and we don't have to. But what we've done to our elderly uh, that's a whole other thing. And the stories I was getting in the early days of, you know, my mother's trapped in the old folks home and this is happening. And I kept saying, why don't you go bust her out? Like I would, I mean, I would, I, I see myself swinging a sword if someone's trying to keep me from my mom, you know, I'm like, why aren't you busting out your mom? Oh, well, it's complicated. We can't have her at home. I'm like, so you're gonna let your mom die in an old folks home in isolation as her dementia and her diabetes, you know, dissolves into an abyss of hell. And that's that that's okay because your husband doesn't want her at your house. You know what I mean? Like there's that conversation, which I don't mean to be harsh. I know that everyone has different goings on in their lives, but I will be harsh because we let our old people die alone. It, a huge crime again against humanity that we've done to our children. And that part is um people can't just easily flip their script now because they were parts of these things, right? And so it's like, how do they turn around and go, you know what, Tina and Sean, we were wrong. We're on your side now. They can't. So there's no conversation in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say, I'm just really blunt. <laughs> just... No, this please, this is what we need. We need this, you know, and I know that you've mentioned a couple of, of terms because you've had to deal with, you know, a lot of, um, you know, it's so funny that these, you know, the, the mandates and, and the, you know, it's, it's under the guise of something altruistic, yes. right? You're doing this for others. And yet the people who are truly, you know, propagating these things have expressed the least compassion and empathy for people who hold different beliefs. And it's just so ironic, you know, like you look at your behavior as a person, you're saying you want to save lives, but you don't give a fuck about me. Like that's not okay. We, where does the, where's the line drawn here? And so expressing real empathy and compassion requires you to think from the other person's perspective. And so even you, like, let me put myself in this person's shoes. Whoa. This would be hard for me to accept because then I'd have to accept that I've been complicit in the damage that's been done. And that can really hurt. But here's the thing too, is that's also going to be coupled with, you can heal from that, right? And I'm not going to just ostracize you and leave you to, to die, you know, like, you know, old girl did in the Titanic left him, you know, he could have got on there too. Maybe. You know? Maybe, you know what I'm saying? But <laughs> They're I'm just... not on my zombie apocalypse team. <laughs> <laughs> They're not invited. <laughs> but you see this happening, it's just like, you know, I'm not going to leave you there. If you want to stay there, fine. Yeah. I'm not going to fight you because they got all these other people who want to be, you know, quote, saved or help them to save themselves yes. better yet because I'm not your guru. All right. But some other people, they're going to want to pull you in, you know, and you got to be aware of that. If you want to stay in the, in the muck, so be it. I love you. I'm still going to love you from here. And when you're ready, you know, I got you. And so... Dealing with all this divisiveness and, you know, for me, and you just brought this up, so we got to talk about it. We got to talk about it. You know, I've never seen something 
so inflammatory before when it comes to a newly invented drug, right? This newly invented formulation. And the whataboutism goes back to, well, you know, the technology's been around. It's never been used. It's never been used for, for human treatment of a virus ever. This is okay. The technology's existed, but it's never been used in this form. And also at this scale, just all of a sudden everywhere. That's not okay. That's not how we do science. That's not how science is yeah. supposed to work as a agreed upon, just, just basic, very foundational levels of science and just humanity. We have to have time to see the outcomes. We have to see how things play out over time, months, years, even in many instances, decades before we actually understand the ramifications of choices when we're, when we're putting newly invented substances in the human body, right? And so one of the things that I did was, and again, I'm still open to the success of it. I'm like, 95% yeah. effective, holy, that sounds amazing. Let me look at the data because I know these guys, right? And so, but what I'll do is let me seek out who has a published paper analyzing the data. That's why I brought on Dr. Ron Brown very early on. And he articulated everybody the absolute risk reduction versus the relative risk reduction and that whole scene, which, you know, again, I'll just paraphrase it here, but definitely check out that episode if you happen to miss it. But the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine trials, the relative risk reduction was 95% effective and 94% effective for Pfizer and Moderna respectively. Sounds amazing. But that's the relative risk reduction. That's used more of a, of, of a clinical outcome comparison. That number we can use to analyze one, one trial versus another very effectively. But it is not appropriate, it has never been appropriate to use that number for an individual in the real world. Never. That's not how science works. Relative risk reduction is not about an individual. That number is the absolute risk reduction, yep. right? And so that is the individual's risk reduction as a human being in the real world. And the absolute risk reduction for the Pfizer vaccine in their own clinical trial was not 95%, wasn't 9%. It was less than 1%. It was 0.7% effective, right? So that's the absolute risk reduction for an individual in the real world. Less yep. than 1%. Risk reduction, and for Moderna, it was 1.1%. And that's just how it is. So knowing this, the poor outcomes that we've seen was not a surprise because he shared with us, everybody, the audience included, that, hey, this number, this was not a 95% or 0.7% risk reduction from hospitalizations. That's not a primary endpoint in the trial. Not for uh, contracting the infection, None of that, not for dying, it's for reducing mild to moderate symptoms. That was the primary outcome seen in the clinical trial. And that's not okay to just leave that out. Because as this number is getting passed around by politicians, by the you know, health authorities, by well-meaning physicians who started parroting this, they're saying this stuff, but without context. It's 95% effective. To do what? Reduce mild to moderate symptoms but that's a clinical trial number. Your number is actually 0.7%, right? So knowing this now, here's my point. Having this data and then to see it come out where the, the director of the CDC herself, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, which we've got to put in this episode now, we'll put the clip for you. Our data from the CDC today suggests, um, you know, that that vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick, um, and, and that it's not just in the clinical trials, but it's also in real world data. She got on major media telling the world, you won't get this virus if you get vaccinated. It just doesn't spread from people who are vaccinated, right? That's not true. 
That would get labeled misinformation, censor, she'd get deplatformed, the whole thing, if everything was done equally. We saw this, not only was it true, it was dangerously untrue, right? So number one, that failed. So them proposing that this is gonna stop the spread, that was the whole thing, it's gonna, we're gonna end this thing. It didn't, because it, it never showed that in the clinical trial, so that's number one. So number two, was supposed to reduce viral load. Didn't f***ing happen. It was not even, again, we have multiple papers. One of them was published in The Lancet. We'll put it up, everything that you're listening to, guys. We'll put it up on the screen for you. Viral load, same, same, all right? Number three, this was supposed to end things because it would be long lasting, right? This would sh make this shift to immune, because that's what a traditional vaccine would do is make you immune to the thing. Guess what? It lasts, what, a few weeks, right? So maybe 12 weeks, but it, the efficacy started to diminish almost with, you know, within a week or two for most people, thus the booster. So first of all, with Pfizer and Moderna, you're not only just getting one vaccine and it's saving the day, you gotta get another one. People negate that, right? So already we got two, and then a booster's given a cute name, which means another vaccine. I have a, a friend, close friend, uh, my wife's best friend, whose family, you know, some family members that she loves and adores, they just got their second booster. Oh yeah. Right? And so, Again, because it, quote, wears off. That's not the promise that was given. And Rochelle Walensky even said that. She's like, she was interviewed, if you can go back and, you know, change something, like, what would it be? She was like, where could we have improved? Um, well, you know, I think, I can tell you where I was when the CNN feed came, that it was 95% effective, um, the vaccine. So many of us wanted to be hopeful. So many of us wanted to say, okay, this is our ticket out, right? Now we're done. Um, so I think we had perhaps too little caution and too much optimism um, for some good things that came our way. I, I really do. I, I think all of us wanted this to be done. Nobody said waning when, when you know, mm -hmm. oh, this vaccine's gonna work. Oh, well, <laughs> maybe it'll work, it'll wear off. Um, nobody said, well, what if the next variant doesn't, it doesn't, it's not as potent against the next variant. Um, and then maybe the other thing I'll say is this area of gray. Um, I have frequently said, um, you know, we're gonna lead with the science. Science is gonna be the foundation of everything we do. That is entirely true. I think public heard that as science is foolproof. Science is black and white. Science is immediate and we get the answer and then we, you know, make the decision based on the answer. And the truth is, science is gray and science is not always immediate. And it, sometimes it takes months and years to actually find out the answer, but you have to make you know, decisions in a pandemic before you have that answer. I would like to be able to know that nobody ever said wears off, right? So she acknowledged that. So three of the four promises were untrue, right? The fourth one was, this is gonna re reduce risk of death and hospitalization, right? Now, this is the last thing I'm gonna say on this because I have an entire paper that ded was dedicated to this. And um, we'll put that for everybody in the show notes, or you can go to themodelhealthshow.com forward slash COVID report, C-O-V-I-D report, and you'll get access to the complete paper. And I want to do it on a site that's easily shareable and consumable. As I mentioned, I shared Substack with you, and it was uh, Rob Wolf who gave me a little nudge to do Substack. And so I just want to make it easy for folks and all everything's clickable. You can check all the studies and the links out. So again, themodelhealthshow.com forward slash COVID report. But what I did was I went and actually analyzed the data around hospitalizations and where it was coming from. 
And of course, it was not, it, it, was, it was very, it was dark. Once I start to actually look into it, I was just shocked at how untrue things were being framed as. Like literally taking a hospital database and taking the numbers of folks who are vaccinated versus unvaccinated. And the, for, the folks who were vaccinated but happened to have a pre-existing chronic disease, they just took them out of the count. Yep. Even if they were vaccinated. Like get these, get these sick people out of this count. We don't want them messing up our clean numbers. Again, not understanding most people in our society have a pre-existing chronic disease. But the smoking gun of the entire scenario is we're using observational data to affirm this effectiveness of reducing hospitalizations. Not to say that that's not valuable or valid, but one of the principles of observational data is that it does not prove causation. It can't, right? It's, we're supposed to use that and then use clinical data, trial data, random, randomized controlled trial to affirm it, right? And that's not been done. Because with observational data, it opens the door for massive biases and confounding factors and all these things that as you look into it deeper, you start to see, wait, this number, this is not okay. This is not true. 99% of people hospitalized or unvaccinated, this whole pandemic of the unvaccinated that took place and disappeared. It was never true and it was never okay. There was no solid data to affirm that. You know, it's based on really flimsy observational data because our clinical trial data from Pfizer themselves, which... I want to ask you about this. They actually were trying to withhold their data for like a few decades, yeah. right? Can you talk about that? It was what, 55 years or something? They weren't going to let it out. And now they're letting it out and trickling it out. And there's, it's pretty damning when you dig into it. And it's, and there's data coming out showing lockdowns didn't work either. You know, I mean, but we, this is not on the news. This is not anything where we're, we're being told about. And then when folks like you and I release it or talk about it, well, who are they? You know, it's dismissed. Who are they? I don't have the right credentials, apparently, to hold water, <laughs> you know, because I'm a naturopathic doctor. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's just been interesting to see the complete just from my end. I kind of gave up the whole told you so. I mean, I, I want to do it to some degree, but I really got slammed by a lot of colleagues and people that I considered friends. And I wanted to send them that Pfizer data that came out and say, do you, you know, do you want to spend half an hour, an hour digging through this, couple hours digging through this? No, I, I didn't figure you did because you wouldn't be this far into the narrative if you had bothered to spend any time looking at anything while it was going down in the first place, you know? So that's kind of, I, I haven't uh, even talked about it on my podcast or or gone into it because again, it, it, it makes me so angry and it makes me equally as angry that people were too lazy to actually pay attention to it. I get it. You know, I, I, I know not everybody has the privilege of the education that I've had and the time that I have to dedicate, but also I dedicate time to things because I feel like it's a necessary part of being in society. I need to know what's going on. I need to seek out the truth at all costs. And we have been you know, you, you just said it, we've been lied to in a myriad of ways consistently. And so which one of these lies is going to make somebody wake up and go, huh, this doesn't smell right. Right. Yeah. Like we were smelling it from the beginning going, something smells off, but that's the part that I have a harder time with is it's almost like who cares at this point, this, this data comes out, we have this, you know, people are spreading it around social media. And really it's, I feel like it's this echo chamber at this point where it's like, we, you and I, folks like you and I are like, ha, we knew it. We knew this was fishy. But the masses as a whole who, like I said, are sort of stuck in this daydream state of they can't wake up anymore. I don't know, you know, and not, not to bring up anything too dark, but I have been a victim of abuse. And 
you sometimes I was watching a program last night about a woman who uh, an actress who was abused by a musician and she it took her 10 years to finally come out with it because he's so powerful she was terrified and my husband was saying well how did she not know from the beginning that he was trouble I mean look at him and I was like you don't understand when you've been a victim of gaslighting and narcissism and abuse. And maybe that's what it was. Maybe that's why my lights turn on so fast because I can smell narcissism walking <laughs> towards them. Like, no, not today, demon. Thank you. I think that people don't realize that they've been gaslit, that there is a narcissist. I, and I also don't think that people realize that there could be corporations or heads of corporations that really could be as dark and evil as maybe some of what we're seeing here, you know, that they they weren't paying attention when you and I were they nobody was paying attention when Johnson and Johnson finally right before the pandemic you know got hit with a massive huge lawsuit for the opioid epidemic for driving oxycontin they weren't there paying attention when Merck you know knew that Vioxx was killing people with cardiovascular disease and 40,000 plus people died or more we don't really know you know we were too busy screaming about 9-11 and the three to five thousand lives that were lost in the World Trade Centers and waging a war against a whole you know, continent <laughs> yeah. instead of looking at home at what was happening with the pharmaceutical industry. So for me, it's, you know, it's, it's like when I was trying to beat the drum on glyphosate and Monsanto way back in the day and everybody was saying, Tina, you're getting too excited. And now they're sending me articles and my mom's finally paying attention. And I'm like, mom, I don't care. Like I, I can't care anymore because you and I were alerted to this a long time ago. And that's the hard part is I knew there was villainy in the world of medicine. I knew that there was dark forces in effect and I knew what they were capable of long. All of these lawsuits you mentioned and so many more, if we looked at all the major pharmaceutical companies and I think people were scared and that fear was, you know, fear drives into the amygdala and the limbic system early into your lizard brain, your primal brain. And they had us within weeks. They had the whole world within weeks on this fear narrative. And then so many people are dopamine deficient, of course, right? Because of the chronic illness in the world. So the news is the nightly news is the dopamine hit. That fear is the dopamine hit. And so basically we created a bunch of fear addicts very quickly. And to turn around and look at, I think that is one aspect that is a bonus here that I think a lot of people woke up to what was going on, you know, stuff that you and I knew, like, I remember when those Rockefeller videos were going around and people were like, I can't believe what, you know, that alternative medicine was basically eradicated you know, early on. And that's old news. Like I learned that in school. That's part of our history of naturopathic and chiropractic medicine. So in that regard, a lot of people I think have woken up to sort of see the matrix as it is for what it is. But at the same time, there's such a majority. And I do think that there's a lot of professionals out there in the, in the medical industry who are just afraid to speak They They yeah. come to me and they're like, thank you so much for the work you're doing. And I'm like, I am in the arena taking arrows and you're not, you're sitting on the sidelines applauding quietly. Oh, I couldn't do that. I'm like, why not? Why couldn't you? It almost pisses me off. I, they want me to give them an attaboy for, for the, like they give me the kudos and they want me to tell them it's okay that they haven't done jack shit. And I am not going to, I'm going to call them out. Cause I'm like, you didn't do anything. Well, my license could have been at stake. So could have mine. Well, my income could have been at stake. Well, I lost, I won't even tell you how much money I've lost in business by speaking out. Right. <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's, I employ now my mother and my daughter so that they don't have to live and work in Portland and wear masks and be vaccinated and be part of this. I, I built a business, that's why I sell my supplements, literally just to employ my, do my daughter and my mom because my mom's too old to be masked up all day and my daughter can't do it. it. 
drives her into anxiety. So that is why I do it, right? And I get called greedy for selling supplements. I'm like, no, there's utility to this. I'm trying to support my family through this pandemic. And so I think anybody could have stepped up and been bold and brave. People lost their jobs. Uh, you and I had a business model that allowed us a little more freedom there, but I still would have walked out at any job that required a mandate. I would have been like, bye, I'll find something else to do. And so that part is hard for me, even when this data comes out that is so conclusive that people have been lied to, they just won't see it because again, they will die on that hill because yeah. they have to. It's every concession is just justified, like explaining away, okay, well, it doesn't stop you from getting it. Okay, we thought it did, but it doesn't. Well, it doesn't reduce your viral load. Well, you gotta get another one. And, and every step one. along the way, because you, as you mentioned it, you're already bought into the narrative and just being able to stop, be like, that's enough. Like, you told me that this was the way and it's not. What you said was not true. I'm going to do other than listen to you right now. And you know, it takes a lot. And so I, again, I appreciate, I understand, I truly do what it takes to be like, you know, I will find a way. I'm not going to sacrifice my integrity and my family. I'll find a way. And understanding there are other people in, in circumstances that they believe they can't. But I, when people talk about, you know, like you said, you understand that people who might live in the inner city might not have access to, for example, like going for a walk if that was mandated. And, and yeah, you gave that example. And... No, but I'm from there. Yeah. I'm from there. So when people say that shit, they really, they don't understand. Because most of the people who say that shit has never been in that situation. They're not from where I'm from. And if I can truly, like, man, I've been, I've been through it. But the thing was, for me, it was exposure. I just needed to know and get an example of what was possible. I didn't know. As soon as I saw a light that I could be healthy, that I could live life on my terms, that I have power in the world. Like I lived in conditions that was always disempowering me. And I, had, I could have hung it up a long time ago, just been like, you know, I had a permission slip. Like, y'all, you have a chronic illness. Not only do you live in Ferguson, Missouri, in a shitty apartment, sleeping on the floor, and the whole thing, teenage father, you got every card stacked against you, the abuse, all of it. I had the permission slip. Oh, like, I don't have to fight anymore because they told me that I have this problem and I can't be blamed. But, I, and I could have just dwindled my life away and I started to, but I wouldn't be here with you right now. And man, it's crazy the impact that we've had and this, the, the, the ability to reach so many people. Listen, it's so weird. I said this the other day when we were recording, but my books are like in libraries in China, you know, and Slovenia and Italy and all these different places. And I'm from where I'm from, you know, but that the connective tissue there is that I've yet to meet a person who doesn't want to be healthy. Yes. Right? Yes. They might have a cognitive bias or a constructive belief that it's not possible for them or it's too hard or it's not for them. They're not worthy. But I've never met a person who didn't want to be healthy in there because even our use of medications or alcohol, and I want to ask you about this next, all of these things are trying to get us to just feel good. Like we're just trying to get out of pain. Yep. You know, and that's the way. We've got a quick break coming up. We'll be right back. When I was in high school and college, our big sports performance game day meal was muscacholi. All right, muscacholi consciousness, muscacholi performance, and wondering why we're over on the sidelines 
yawning and you know waiting for the next blade cycle back in again of course you get hopped up you get the adrenaline going you do your performance but what if there was something better not just for game day but for practice days as well because how you practice is how you perform and so if you're dedicated to true sports performance your nutrition really does matter and now we have things that have clinical evidence peer-reviewed controlled trials that show the efficacy of things that have been utilized for centuries and a study published in medicine and science in sports and exercise tested 30 healthy athletes for six weeks to record the effects of cordyceps medicinal mushroom on their performance the group that added cordyceps to their daily regimen had twice the oxygen uptake of the control group this oxygen is essential in supplying nutrients to your muscles preventing fatigue and preventing the buildup of lactic acid Another study done by the same group also showed a 9% increase in aerobic activity from utilizing cordyceps. And for myself personally, my pre-workout go-to is Shroom Tech Sport from Onnit. And this is because it was the subject of a double-blind, placebo-controlled 12-week clinical trial performed by researchers at Florida State University. And they found that utilizing Shroom Tech Sport as a pre-workout showed a direct increase in bench press reps by 12%. They also found an increase in combined bench press and back squat reps by 7% for the supersets and also were found to parallel the earlier study with a cardio performance increase by 8.8%, almost 9% that was seen in the earlier clinical trial. If you're not utilizing Shroom Tech Sport, definitely check it out. Go to onnit.com forward slash model. That's O-N-N-I-T.com forward slash model for 10% off. It's a world-class pre-workout and pre-life supplement to use. Onnit.com forward slash model. Now back to the show. If you could, let's talk a little bit more about this because you actually have been sharing a lot of information that you've pull the plug on drinking and you live like you got a wine live like wine country yeah where you're at so you were like dabbling a little bit extra you know so let's talk about that yeah well first i just want to like i got goosebumps from what you just said because you said something you said you realized you had the power and like that's it right i i had the same i was you know white girl living in the suburbs living at my parents house sick as a dog chronically sick uh and I also was given that permission slip. I remember a doctor offering to write me disability at a young age. And- Ooh, if I can get that disability check, oh my goodness. Yep, and it was my <laughs> chiropractor who just angrily said no. He said, absolutely not, you will not go down that path. You're better than that. You will get up and you will handle this. And he taught me how to make a smoothie. He taught me how to put protein powder and fruit in a cup and blend it. <laughs> And it started there, right? And I hauled my ass down to the library and I started reading and I started learning. And then I met my mentor. And I don't think any of these connections are uh, just random. I think we are meant to be in the rooms we're supposed to be in, right? At the right time. So I just wanted to applaud you for that because I think it's, this, you know, very similarly, like you get that glimmer of I have power here. Yeah. And we as a country, particularly the U.S., has been, at least in my lifetime, from what I've seen, and I said this long before the pandemic, I think we've just been way 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 conditioned to be slow sick fat and dumb it's just 
programming, right? And we were talking about the pharmaceutical commercials. Just It's just the programming that people just sort of like roll over and take it. And I yeah. will not roll over and take it. I will fight. Yeah. <laughs> I will fight till the end. So anyway, I'm sorry. What did you ask me? So I was asking you about, and by the way, I'm, I'm fighting with you, by the way, <laughs> of course, like we're powerful. So yeah, just if you're, you could share your experience. Yeah. Uh, well, I came up in a house where my dad was a big drinker and a Midwest family drinking, you know, and my mom never touched the stuff. And then as a teenager, I was a heavy drinker as a teenager and through college I drank and chiropractic college was full of drinkers. Ironically, it was a lot of Canadians and they can really hold their booze and, um, just a lot of drinking, heavy drinking. And you never really think much of it when everyone around you is drinking more than you. And I kept falling in love with alcoholics, which was weird. And it wasn't until I, I wish I had the knowledge, like my daughter has such a depth of wisdom about her. I wish I had held some of that wisdom when I was younger, but I met my current uh, husband. This is now my third husband, which I'm not ashamed of saying, because I will not stay in a situation that does not serve me or my health. So when it's time to go, it's time to go. And I, I'm, I, I'm not saying dissolve marriages, but sometimes you got to dissolve marriages to obtain your health. So I was on my third round and I said, I'm never doing it again. And when I met him online, his profile said he didn't drink. The last guy I was with said he didn't drink. Uh, I just kept, and then it turns out the current guy is a drinker. And I kept thinking, well, what the hell? How do I keep ending up with alcoholics? And of course, when you get reflective and you learn to separate from ego, which I think is part of this bigger theme we're talking about of like, if will people ever admit to what's that they've been had? They can't because it's really, it's pretty up-leveling to learn to separate from ego, right? I mean, that's like a conscious work to really learn to observe something without your ego completely driving the, the bus. And I looked in the mirror and I'm like, maybe I'm the problem. Mm. <laughs> you know, like that meme mm. that's going around. I was like, am I the drama? Maybe I'm the drama. And I thought maybe I'm the alcoholic. And I, no, 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 I don't drink that much. I really can't. Like physically, if I have more than two drinks, I start puking. And Ryan's seen it. My, hus my husband's seen it. And so we got married and we were in Vegas and we were drinking and we were having so much fun. And the arguments uh, were getting more frequent in our relationship. And his mom grabbed my arm and said, this ends when you quit drinking. If you quit drinking, this ends. He'll stop for it. He'll stop with you. And I was like, huh. So that was kind of boiling around in my head. And we're in Vegas and I'm just madly in love with this man. Like I truly feel like God brought this man to me at the right time, right before the zombie apocalypse, like right before everything, like we were talking about. And I thought very clearly that I loved him more than I loved the booze. And then I, I, I have been working over the past few years of releasing guilt and shame because my whole life was driven by guilt and shame. And I, I don't know where it all came from, but it all coalesced or coalesced. I can't say the word. Culminated. <laughs> Culminated into just living, like living by this, well, you should do this, you should do that. And I was really breaking those chains, chains pre-pandemic because I was tired of living in guilt and shame and what I should be doing and living my life on my own terms because I realized I probably have more years behind me than I do in front of me at this point. I don't plan on being 100. I don't think that's going to happen. I just, I don't know, call it a hunch. And I realized that tyranny was taking over the planet and I cannot be hung over and crunchy feeling in the morning with the speed of which things are happening. Yeah. 
They're really happening. I knew they were going to happen the minute this pandemic hit. I knew it was going to get where it's gotten. I just knew. And I was like, okay, well, this is really happening. I can't keep numbing myself out during this process. I thought maybe I could just drink my way through the pandemic and then I wouldn't remember it as well. <laughs> and that wasn't clearly going to, it's not going to end. This is this, this, whatever tyranny has crept up in the world is not going to end anytime soon easily. So I better quit drinking. So I am fully aware of what's happening. But as I have each month that I have been alcohol free, I'm going into what I stopped January 1st. So I'm in month four each month, something new comes through. First month was uh, the anxiety that I was feeling that I was using alcohol to numb was actually being caused by the alcohol. So that was a big one. Like, oh, I actually was using alcohol to take the edge off, but the edge was there because of the drinking. And I wasn't, again, I wasn't drinking high volume. And I, I'm, I'm a really transparent person, so I don't mind talking about this at all. I just was consistent. And so in that consistency, I was having this low grade anxiety that I was using alcohol to supposedly get rid of. And then in month two, the clarity started coming. So like the hits from the universe, the flow state, like being, you know, when you get in that flow state, it's awesome. I hadn't been there in a long time and I was starting to get depressed about it, really depressed. And I realized that flow state was being um, kept from me because I wasn't stepping into my own power. I wasn't communicating with my higher self on a regular basis. I wasn't, I was too numbed out, right? And I think now I'm at the point where my mitochondria are recovering, my thyroid's recovering. I just said to my husband the other day, I used to get these crippling bouts of cold where I would just get taken over by cold. And that's very much a thyroid Hashimoto's thing, which I have and lots of women do. And I realized that hasn't been there since I quit drinking this like, and if you, any women listening know what I'm talking about, if they suffer from it, you're so cold. I would grab him and literally like make him lay in the bed with me and hold me because the cold was so bone crippling and it's been, it hasn't been there. So there's all these little perks that keep showing up. But I think at the end of the day, I was supposed to be here on this planet with the knowledge base that I had. And I, the suffering I had to go through to obtain this knowledge base, not just the education, but the actual illnesses I've endured, the chronic illnesses, the autoimmune conditions, all of it led me to a place where I could lead from a place of power and help people from my platform. And I had built the platform. It wasn't huge, but it was big enough that I had a voice and I knew how to use it. I knew how to use the platform. And I was able to help as many people as, as you have, right? Like we were able to help when we could because of what we built. So we were supposed to be here when that happened. And moving forward, how do I serve my higher self to my greatest good? And I'm not a super religious person, but I do believe in a higher power. And I believe that I communicate with that higher power. And it, I did a lot of things in a haze because of alcohol. And the one thing I think I, I do have some guilt and regret about is that I never stopped drinking for my daughter. You know, I was a single mom for most of all of this career building. And she suffered because of the career building. And I was drinking to get through the stress of the career building. And I think now I, I wake up with these little hits thinking, huh, you know, that behavior you were exhibiting with your daughter all those years ago that you feel so guilty about. That was the only time that was happening was when I was either under the influence of alcohol or the next day when I was struggling with feeling shitty from drinking alcohol. So I have to process that, of course, and let that go because I don't need to carry that guilt and shame. But I, I keep texting her and she's like, it's okay, mom, I've forgiven you. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, I know, but I, I used, I mean, I used to come from a place of anger and cause I was so overwhelmed, you know, single mom, like doing it all. It's, yeah. it's not easy. And so there's times where I just am not that person anymore, but I think alcohol was driving a lot of, well, pretty much every bad decision I've ever made. 
was driven by being under the influence of some, it might, might've been just a nasty response I made on Instagram after a glass of wine that led to a whole show for the next two weeks where I'm like, how did I get here? Oh, you had a glass of wine before you answered that random Karen. <laughs> Their accounts attacked you and they, you know what I mean? So anyway, it's been really eye-opening. I'm not going to go back to alcohol. I think it's, uh, I think it's called spirits for a reason, mm. you know, and mm. it's just been really, I'm not also judging anyone. I'm not coming from a high horse by any means. I, whatever anyone, I, that's the thing. I don't care if somebody wants to get vaccinated. I don't care if somebody wants to eat like shit. I don't care if somebody wants to drink themselves to death. As long as it's not impacting my life. If you want to take care of yourself, great. But when it became a pandemic of the obese and sick and inflamed, that's when I started having a problem, right? That's when I was like, we got to do something. So, and that my responsibility to this is to not be sick and obese and inflamed or allow the family history of diabetes that I have to get me. So al quitting alcohol was part of that. Like I wow. got to be a better version too, if I'm going to ask my audience to do the same so that's the long answer <laughs> you're amazing like like you're really amazing this thank is <laughs> so cool and thank you so much for sharing because that's another thing that i think um our our, our teachers struggle with which is being able to share what we're going through you know and so this term authenticity tends to get messed up with you know with marketers but truly like sharing your story and your struggles, like that's where people connect. And I love that you mentioned, you know, this isn't about like, I'm not telling you that you have yeah. to do this, but for my story, and I know that of course, many people are going to see themselves in that story as well. But also, you know, again, and I, I love the, this, these specific words, I don't care, <laughs> right? Don't. I don't care. Even that when you said it, it still is like, you, you care about people, yeah. but it's your life. And for me, and I know as you as well, I don't care if the treatment that we've used is effective or not. Like if, I don't care if isolating humans is effective or not, like on the surface, like I don't care if it happened to be the best thing ever for like, we, sh we unlock superpowers and like we evolve into X-Men by isolating ourselves, cool. I don't care. I care about outcomes. Yeah. I just, I care about science. So if it's not effective, we can call a thing a thing. And over the course of this conversation, I, I've, I've heard your pain, you know, from dealing with the vitriol when you are just truly somebody who's dedicated her life to serving and people don't know what you've gone through to be that person and keep showing up. And so one of those terms, and you kind of just like, you know, I get called out for this, I get called out for that. You, you said this term fat shaming. So I know of course, folks have come at you like, you know, so the number one risk factor for death from COVID is obesity. It's the number one risk factor. It's just what it is. And again, I don't care if it was, you know, toe fungus, I don't care, you yeah. know, it's just, but this is what is. And so you might share some data on this and say, hey, you know, we got to address this issue. We've got to get our society healthier. And then, you know, some random person is like, so you're blaming fat people for COVID? You know, it's right. just like, no, this again, this is like the great, the biggest epidemic that we're experiencing as a society is MTP syndrome, missing the point. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. People are like really, really great or a virus. It's the missing the point virus. It's just really great at missing the point. 
The point is, this is our biggest issue and we can actually do something about it. And it can be joyous. Like we can unite. We can have so much more, you know, connection and community and love and so many good things come from that. This is not about this term. Again, it's being weaponized of fat shaming. You know, um, this is about acknowledging like, I think that this, this is the point to clear up. We are not advocating for everybody to be the same, you know, like personally, I like thick, you know, a little thicker than a snicker. You know what I'm saying? We don't want everybody to have the same body type or to be this so-called societal perfection. Right. There's so many different shapes and sizes and expression of human beauty. We just don't want you to be sick. We just don't want you to be in a position where you are breaking down internally and outwardly, you're like, you know, don't fat shame me. But at the same time, you're diabetic and you're, you've accelerated your aging process. And not only is that, in and of itself, you said something earlier that I don't want to glance over. There's a strange twist of selfishness in that because you don't understand how your poor health is affecting your children. You're not acknowledging how your poor health is affecting your community and your family. Not only is it altruistic and being of service to love yourself and to be of service to you, it's one of the most altruistic things. It's why you took control of this aspect of your life so you could show up better. And you started unlocking superpowers you didn't even know. And we mentioned this, I don't know if it was during the show beforehand, but you know, when I was hanging out with Dr. Amen, and he, every time I talk to him, he says this thing to me. And you know, I, it kind of, I'm not gonna say it just like goes one in one ear and out the other, but he he says is that Sean, alcohol is not a health food. Yeah. You know, because he's looked at all these brain scans and he can see it. And he's just like, the brain damage, like he's just like, this really does tear our brains apart. And we're wondering why it would evoke anxiety, right? It's just like your body's trying to recalibrate and sort out your nervous system, you know? And so, but also at the same time, again, there can be some value found in it, you know, potentially, but from listening to my guy who's looking at brains, it's not a health food. Yeah, I've been listening to him say that for years too and just kind of ignoring it. And it's, you know, (laughs) well, it's easy to ignore when you've got your vices. And I, something I want to point out is I remember being in school and somebody said, um, because I waste when I get sick, I waste away. And somebody said, another colleague who we were just about to graduate. And she said, something you have to understand is when people are deep in their pathology, whatever that is, some people expand and some people contract. And so I think with the current food supply, we should really look at big food. A lot of people are expanding in their pathology. The pathology is not just overeating. It's multifactorial, right? And it's, I, I would never make it so simplistic to say that, you know, overcoming the, the, the pandemic now we have of obesity um, is going to be simple. But I do think that this current viral pandemic, which I think it's over, like, I think I'm not worried about it anymore with Omicron, but the world seems to think it's still a thing and horrible things are happening in China. Um, This isn't going to end until we address that and the metabolic dysfunction that comes with that. That is the underlying thing. I don't care what size somebody's body lands at their, their, I call it their fighting weight. Like, where do you feel best at? I would always say to patients, where do you feel strongest in your skin? Right. and that might be a different weight for everybody. Of course, we're different humans. We're different ethnicities. We're different. We have different epigenetics. But strength, underlying strength and physical fitness 
and uh, stamina. The bottom line is to be harder to kill. And that was so offensive to so many people when I said it out loud that we have to, as a society, become harder to take out. And people, my, my colleagues came at me and said, how dare I? And called me all kinds of names. Isn't that, we have a tenant, we have six tenants in naturopathic medicine. And I believe it's the third one is docere or doctor's teacher. And so I couldn't believe the amount of pushback I've received. My job is to teach people. So teaching people how to be metabolically healthy and sound in a you know profoundly sick society, it's that is no easy feat. And I understand that it's a monumental undertaking. And we have folks like you and Mike Mutzel and several others, who, Gabrielle Lyon, holding the line around this, this theme. But at the end of the day, uh, the onus of responsibility, again, is on the individual, regardless of where they live. Regard, big Pharma is not going to save them. The allopathic medical system is not going to save them. And again, I knew this decades ago. So I was well aware of the corruption going back and people are just waking up to it, which I'm excited about. But it, it, it nonetheless, it is still true. Even with four boosters, I mean, what are we going to boost people's immune systems to dust? Like, what are we doing? No one's and we don't have to get into it, but no one's talked about what the potential reper real repercussions immunologically are going to be. Yeah. We're already seeing it. We're seeing it right now in South Korea. It's not good. The point is, not, no one's coming to save you, right? Get up. I posted that at the beginning of the pandemic. I was like, no one's coming to save you. Get up. And I, of course, took so much heat. That narrative has never been shared. It's just, you know, it's this nanny state they want us in, this sort of big pharma nanny state where we trust big agriculture, we trust big food, we trust big pharma, and they're going to save us. You're going to save yourself. Your wife's not going to save you. Your kids aren't going to save you. You're going to save yourself, right? You know that. You wake up, you get out of bed, you do the things you do to make this meat suit. I think we're just spiritual beings walking around in meat suits, right? You're going to make this meat suit as profoundly resistant and resilient as you can. And that is your job. It makes you a better father. It makes you a better dad. It makes you a better business person. It helps you serve your audience better. It makes you a better citizen in society. I want to be helpful, right? I, I don't strength train just to have a nice physique. I strength train so I can help people. What if something falls on someone and I have to be able to lift it off? I, I mean, I, I truly, I think about that. I think what if a bookcase fell on my daughter and I wasn't able to lift it? How bad would I feel? Because I was too weak to help her, you know? And so I built this meat suit back up. It took me a long time. Like I said, I tend to waste. So COVID wasted me. I mean, I, I had 10 more pounds of muscle on me before COVID. So that is the bottom line that, and the message I'm trying to drill into society is your health is your responsibility. There is no pill. There's no supplement. There's no functional medicine doctor or chiropractor or someone who's going to save you. And even if there was somebody who could help you, like right now, mold sickness and Lyme and all these things are the big rage. Well, what happens to bodies that are stagnant? They get mold and infections. It's like a stagnant pond, right? The base we call it basic treatment guidelines in naturopathic medicine. The base is always the same. It's, it's functional health, right? It's lifestyle. It's the food you eat and the company you keep and the mindset that you have and the spirituality that you possess and the movement that you do. There's a, there was a physical, there was a whole movement called physical culture way back in the day. And it was, yeah. you know, people were celebrated for being physically fit. It's, it's a, strength is um, celebrated. And we have now oddly come to a place where good health is actually under attack. There's 
literally a war on good health at this point. It's not just let's boost the whole population into immune dust. It's literally let's vilify the healthy fit people at the same time. It's gotten very weird and distorted. And I am 100%, I will 150% in. If someone says, Tina, I'm ready, let's go. I mean, I have these t-shirts that say, don't be zombie bait. And I sell extra, extra large ones all the time. There are, you know, if people are ready to get on the bus and let's go, but we're not keeping the ones around, that is what zombie bait is, right? It's the ones that want to sit there and complain and say it's everyone else's fault. I understand that we've, we've all been dealt bad hands, some worse than others, and some have had great support system. I have always had a great support system. Uh, thank God for my great parents. At the same time, I built what I built. I didn't come from wealth. I didn't come from good health. I had a lot of uh, genetic stuff stacked against me, if you will. And it comes down to the little things we do every day, like the foods we choose to put in our mouths, the way we choose. I don't want to get up and go for a walk sometimes, but my dog starts dancing and <laughs> I got to go. You know, I don't, I started strength training in my forties, in my early forties, around 40 years old. I started strength training because I wanted to be a better mom. I just wanted to show up better in the world for my daughter as she turned into a teenager. I didn't want her to see a sickly skinny woman who had chronic migraines. Right? So these are the steps we take every day and the work we put in. Uh, I show up I do the work to be a better wife on this round of marriage. I want this one to work out. Right. So I will do everything it takes to be the best wife I can be to him and show up in the world for him and work through my nuances. But a lot of our nuances, a lot of our baggage is really self deprivating. And that shows up as poor health in a lot of people. I'm not worthy of good health. I'm not, I'm, I'm ugly. I'm not attractive. I'm not, you know, these are the, the sad stories people tell themselves. This is all stuff I've heard patients say because I treated chronic pain. And people have all kinds of sad stories as to why they should remain in chronic pain. Even just getting them to accept of letting the pain go is a whole, whole psychological trip. <laughs> so this is why we have therapies like ketamine. And I think why plant medicine has become so big is because people are starting to realize that their ego is driving the bus and maybe not necessarily their higher good and, and their higher purpose. And part of that, I believe, is optimizing this meat suit. Take care of it. Like take care of what you've got and therefore you can take care of your family and community better. Yeah. This has been amazing. Um, it reminds me of the quote from Jim Rohn. I used to listen to a lot of Jim Rohn. He just seemed like granddad vibes, you know, but he said that no one else can do your pushups for you, Ah, uh, you know, and it's just like a principle of life. Now, this also comes with this caveat that you can do your pushups with other people. Yeah. Other people can support you. You could support others. Like you don't have to do this on your own, but your health is your responsibility. And we have to take full responsibility for that principle right now. Like, again, we've been outsourcing it, you know, like somebody fix me. I've done it. We can have people who are allies in that for sure. Coaches and support and add services and these type of things. But ultimately, your health is your responsibility. It's your gift. That body that you're in, that brain, the, you know, those ears that are listening to this or the eyes that are watching this, these are all your responsibility and it can be the most beautiful thing in the world. And as I mentioned, you know, this is not about being some kind of ideal of what perfection should be. This is simply about working towards being better. That's it, you know, because no, man, there's so many people who are in process right now and you should be celebrating that because... Part of the struggle often is that we're hating ourselves into the thing. 
Yes. Right. And that's the narrative that needs to be addressed is getting pushed onto you that you're not good enough, that you are flawed, that you're unlovable, you know, whatever the case might be, that you're not, you're not what you can be, you know, and just hating themselves into change versus loving yourself and appreciating yourself and investing in yourself and just walking in that direction. You know, there's somebody listening right now that their mission is to lose 100 pounds, right? And maybe they've already lost 40. And I need you to celebrate that more, like celebrate yourself and that you're in process. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be like, I'm not, I'm, I'm the obese story that they've been mentioning. No, you're working on yourself. You're in process. They're on the journey. You're, you're not a part of the problem. You're part of the solution. And so we need that more than ever. And you are a huge part of the solution. Like just even being here with you, you are a powerhouse. Like I can see it. And I appreciate you. Can you let everybody know where they can follow you, get more information, just be able to stay in your universe? Yeah. You, you said something that I just wanted to kind of riff on. I think that if people trusted their bodies more, we wouldn't have so much fear, drive, the, the fear factory that's driving the narrative. And the way that you learn to trust your body more is through the journey towards health. It's not, it's not a destination. It's just a journey, right? And like you said, if they're on the path, then they're part of the solution. And through that will come more trust in your body and anything that comes its way you will have more trust in enduring. That's the key. That's what I'm always trying to get at with people. So anyway, uh, thank you so much. I, this has been so much fun and such an honor. And I'm so glad I finally got to meet you in real life. <laughs> I can be found mainly on Instagram at Dr. Tina. And that's my main handle. I, my website, drtina.com. And my podcast is the Dr. Tina show that you're coming on soon. I'm very excited. So that's, those are the main places to find me. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for coming down to hang out with us. And listen, for your show, make sure people subscribe to your show as well, because I'm about to go off like <laughs> I've never done before. It's going to be amazing. So make sure to check that out. And uh, again, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Dr. Tina Moore, everybody. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. Make sure to check out more from Dr. Tina Moore on Instagram. And also, of course, check out her podcast. Such an amazing human being who's doing a lot of work to get people educated and empowered. Somebody who's actually reviewing published data and sharing with folks so they can have a more balanced perspective. And again, it's really about empowerment right now. And to see the video of this episode with the studies and the like that'll be put up on screen for you, go to themodelhealthshow.com forward slash Tina. That's T-Y-N-A, themodelhealthshow.com forward slash Tina. And this is because, you know, with this conversation, publishing on YouTube is a little bit sketchy. You know, YouTube has their own particular mandates and conversation topics that can't necessarily be talked about on the platform, which is really unfortunate. You know, and just to share a story with you, I'm sitting here right now in the studio. I'm looking at my plaque from YouTube right now. I'm looking at it. This award that they sent me for achieving this 100,000 subscribers mark, for example. And what it is, is a celebration of an ideal. What it is, is that they're trying to give a little bit of bait for creators and people who are reaching people and inspiring people to keep making content for their platforms so that they make money. That's what it's really about. Here's this little crumb, you know, we're sending you this award. Keep making us money. But when it really boils down to it, 
they're censoring the voices of their citizens, you know, of our citizens. And we could say this is an open platform, but it's not really like that. We could say it's a private platform, not really like that. Most folks today, they're either Googling or YouTubing things as a mode of education. And so that matters. And it just, it is what it is. It's not to say that it's right, but it's just where we are as a society. You know, people are tuning into these platforms and we know we've got proof directly from the horse's mouth, as they say. And I don't know where that term came from because I don't know if it's from Mr. Ed, you know, shout out to Mr. Ed TV show where the horse is talking, Wilbur. Uh, I don't know how I know that. That's so random. But here's the thing, straight from the horse's mouth with, you know, our, our government and, you know, the press secretary, for example, talking about the fact that they are working alongside social media companies to help to guide what is appropriate and what isn't, what's deemed to be misinformation by them, the kings of misinformation, all right, the royal family, the royal entities of misinformation, and for them to, to say what's true and what isn't. And understanding really one important tenet that I think gets lost in all of this is that there isn't just one truth. And we have to really sit with that because most principles, most theories about our lives as human beings, at some point, the argument for their sanctity, their argument for their effectiveness breaks down. There, is, there are very few things that are 100% true. And to negate that and all the beautiful shades, all the beautiful spectrum and colors of truth that are possible, that can lead us forward as a society, that gets destroyed, that gets suppressed, that gets crushed when we start to dictate to other people and have entities controlling what's true and what isn't. And there's no open space for conversation, for healthy debate, for actually holding a space, even if you don't agree with a person, to hold a space that, hey, maybe what you're saying is true to some extent. Let me investigate that. Let me look into that, right? That's what we need more of. And so not being able to publish this on YouTube is, you know, it's a, it, it, it did bother me for, for a while, but I understand what they're doing. I understand their platform and hey, we'll, we'll utilize it. We'll utilize the platform and play their little game, but please know I've got a bigger plan in, in store. You know, I've got uh, a bigger mission. And what I would love for you to do as a show of love for disinformation and for this empowerment is to head over to YouTube, subscribe to the Model Health Show on YouTube because we do publish exclusive content there and just send a little bit of a surge of energy through that platform to let YouTube know like, hey, we've got a lot of people who love this channel, who love the Model Health Show, who, who have love for Sean Stevenson and let that algorithm get a little shaken. All right, shake up the algorithm a little bit. So that would really mean a lot if you did that for me today. Again, it's the Model Health Show on YouTube. And to see this video episode again, you're going to go to themodelhealthshow.com forward slash Tina, T-Y-N-A, and you'll be able to access the video for this episode. And, and listen, again, we are just getting warmed up. We've got so many incredible things in store, so many amazing masterclasses absolutely game-changing guests as well coming up for you very soon so make sure to stay tuned
All right, take care, have an amazing day, and I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.